Hey, everybody. This episode is sponsored by the Iowa Public Health Association and the Our Story, Our Shot campaign. For more information, visit OurStoryOurShot.com. And they're grinding and they are experiencing the rewards. They see in their bank account what they can do with the money. But they're like, this place is killing me. Like, I got to get out of here. And people do. So it's ironic because they work so hard to get to a particular status. They get to this pinnacle and they're like, yeah, I can't do this. This is going to this going to take me out. Hey, what's up? This is Corey Dion Lewis, clinical health coach and host of the Healthy Project podcast. Now, the research shows that social determinants can have a greater impact on your health more than healthcare or lifestyle choices. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to improve health and reduce health inequity by speaking to healthcare professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a review, or you can also make a donation to The Healthy Project using the link in the description. It takes 30 seconds, and it's super easy. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get started. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project podcast. I'm your host, Corey Dion Lewis. Um, I have a great guest with me today. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure. Yeah. So before we begin, begin, uh, how about you tell the people a little bit about yourself and what gets you up in the morning? Yeah, sure. So um I am a associate professor of public health at the Brown School at Washington University in St. Louis. Been doing this for, I've been on faculty for about 11 years now. Um, and my work is all focused about, total focus on, is on health equity, um, all aspects of health equity, um, particularly around race and, and figuring out how racism impacts health and health inequities. Um, what gets me up in the morning Depends on the day, um, but I think the biggest thing is is that passion and dedication to eliminating health inequities. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, my home. I love a great deal and um, was really shaped by that context. Um, I grew up in the 80s where Detroit was wild in a lot of different ways, <laughs> um, but it was also something that, you know, it the inequities around education and neighborhood you name it we're right there and in, in, in my proverbial face and so um just experiencing those things um and i feel very privileged to be where i'm at and to have the opportunity to um, do work that hopefully contributes to people like you know myself and my network back home in detroit and other places around the country so that's what gets me up in the morning no, absolutely, man. And um, like I was saying, you know, social mobility and, and reading on it and how that really affects the the health, the health of someone, specifically, you know, people of color, you know, black people. And so, you know, for those that don't know, what is social mobility? Because I know this is a little bit about some you do a lot of research around this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the long and short of it is that um Anytime you're engaged in social mobility, you're moving from a social place that's different from, say, your family of origin. 
And you can go upward, downward, or stable. Um, so for many Black Americans, there's not a great deal of wealth in the community, not like human wealth. You know, there's a great deal of, you know, social capital, human capital, people are valuable um, in terms of economic wealth because of historic policies and practices. Um, people are probably familiar with redlining practices, for example, um, which is really structured the United States as we know it in terms of segregation. Segregation is insidious because it locks people out of opportunities in terms of quality neighborhoods or access to health care or the building blocks of, of what makes a, a healthy person like access to fresh fruits and vegetables, access to, to safe places to recreate. Um, but again, what, what makes the lack of wealth so so troublesome, at least in my work, is that when people are trying to engage in upward mobility, oftentimes they're starting from scratch. Um, there's no scaffolding. There's no right. um, hand-me-downs. There's no... Um, and, and a lot of people think about wealth in terms of end-of-life transfer. So when people die, they leave. Um, family members, parts of their state or pass a house along. That certainly happens, but um, most wealth transfers occur across the life course when people are doing tough stuff, like going to school or starting a family or purchasing their first home. And if you don't have wealth, trying to go to school means you have to take out a lot of debt oftentimes. Or if you're trying to purchase a home, oftentimes you can't get the same type of house that um, maybe your white counterparts can afford in a certain type of neighborhood. And, you know, with the nature of racial residential segregation, just having a black body in a certain space, unfortunately, even in 2023, that means something in terms of the appraised value of a home. And there's been studies recently, not even just studies, just people have sued mortgage companies yeah. for like, they're appraising their home because of a black person living in now. Um appraising that house at a lower rate than if it was a white family. I mean, people have tested it out and found that those their appraised is, is less. So that's that's real dollars, that's real value. Um that again, people are not having the opportunity to pass to their their offspring or other people in their network. And again, it makes it difficult to get started up. So even if people are upwardly mobile, they still oftentimes don't have the same amount of wealth. And again, my argument is that wealth is is truly uh, a different beast, if you will, compared to other indicators of socioeconomic status. Right, right. So and and that's and that's in the news a whole lot right now when we're talking about how we improve just the the overall health of the black community right now i'm not even talking about you know health in the sense of um diabetes or weight loss or cholesterol but like the health of generational generational health and generational wealth and what does that what does that look like where where does that start and how how do we get to where for a lack of a better word how do we get to where we're we're even and in the in the game isn't is even in balance and not doesn't feel like it's fixed if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely it, it truly is an equity question um so you know i think that because of the i mean the first thing that 
So I think about things from a population level. Um, the first thing you do when you go up to a, a new physician, a new dentist, et cetera, is they take your history. So they want to know, is there a family history of cancer, um, cardiovascular disease? If you've been to a new dental office, they want to know, you know, have you had cavities before you had a root canal? Similarly, it's important to know the history of the United States and where the key or decisions were made and sort of rigging the game, if you will. Um, so to strive towards equity, to me, it means that we have to sort of undermine the or disrupt the status quo um, and think about bold solutions because the solutions that were developed for key parts of the United States, like I always talk about New Deal era policies and lectures and classes that um and new deal era policies were absolutely transformational in the history of the united states one of the boldest set of progressive policies and and certainly in the, the history of the united states and established things like the social security administration and the mm -hmm. federal housing authority um but black americans were systematically cut out and excluded from the majority of those policies including the gi bill so what we see now is a contemporary manifestation in the form of health, social, and economic status as it relates to those, those historic policies. So understanding our history as a population, we can, we can better undo those, those historical wrongs because we have a blueprint for how those, those wrongs started. Um, so it's not starting from scratch. It's not even going back to like, oftentimes people think, well, these differences are so deeply entrenched and immutable that you can't do anything about them. And it started with slavery and it's people just throw their hands up. And I would say you can look into the 1900s mm. and you can see not even a hundred years ago, there were systematic decisions made where we can imagine. And I think that's, that's difficult for some people, but I think as a population, we have to imagine a counterfactual. What if we made different decisions? What if we had a more equitable approach then? Um, and so that allows us to figure out, okay, what do we need to do to address these historic inequities in order to, you know, advance health and well-being today and, and contemporary times? Right. Why do you think it's so hard? You, you said, you know, it's hard for some people to think back that some of these difficulties, it wasn't that long ago. Right. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's so hard to wrap their minds around that that concept and to come up with solutions and to move forward? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the first thing that springs to mind was two I words. One is um, ideology. The other is ignorance. Um, and they kind of go hand in hand, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, so today, just opposed against. You know, even when I was a kid growing up um, where there was like four TV stations, um, now you can get your news from your phone. There's apps, there's Twitter, there's Mastodon, there's Truth Social, there's, you know, if you're a Fox News person, if you're a CNN person, MSNBC. So people curate their news to their preferences. So people are in these information bubbles where they're not necessarily getting objective um, points of view right. and perspectives about what's happening in the world around them. And if you tap into people's ideology and their fears or 
um, any sorts of slights that they may feel or even just stereotypes that they might hold, have and um, reify about different groups of people, then you get these deeply entrenched ideologies that, again, when people are attempting to um, tell the truth about the nature of, say, inequities, that people are ready to counter-argue you with the things they've heard on television or they've heard on their social their, their social network or they just want to tune out. Um, so I think that, you know, addressing that information bubble question is, is a really big important um, to sort of like dismantle the whether it's learned ignorance, whether it's um, intentional ignorance, whatever case may be to, to somehow get to to addressing that ignorance. I think one of the biggest things that people can learn is having empathy for each other. Um, we're all human beings. And at a base level, I think, especially in 2023, people just don't. It's amazing how far things have gotten where people of different ideologies truly look at each other as a different species almost, um, where it's more important to like argue a person down or to have wins over them than to see that person as a whole human being. Um, so I think that's, that's one of the things that I would say is important is to just learn more and, and empathize with one another as, as fellow human beings. No, that's real. I love that. If, you know, if we can go back to kind of the, the the health perspective of social mobility um what does that relationship look like you know the between social mobility and health what does that suggest mm -hmm. so i think the the long and short of why i even got into this work um i won't bore you with all the details but um one of my mentors studied maternal and child health outcomes and essentially for black women who gave birth um, or who were pregnant, they experienced greater rates of preterm birth, low birth weight, and infant mortality and maternal mortality relative to their white counterparts. And when you control for all the known things like access to health care, socioeconomic status, like education and income, as I mentioned, health insurance, those inequities still don't go away. In fact, for many quote unquote middle class black women, their birth outcomes are worse than poorer white women and black women who are younger and, and don't have as many social economic resources. So that was a really puzzling set of findings for me. And they, they still are here. There's still a, a twofold difference with those birth outcomes with black women suffering from those at twice the rate of, of white women. Um, so that was kind of the origin. I was like, I wonder what's going on. What are the mechanisms that, that are explained that? One of the things that I kind of settled on was stress. Um, I think for a lot of people in public health like myself, they think about socioeconomic status is sort of this eraser. So if you just give people more education, more income, then all the health inequities will fall away. But we find time and time again, whether it's maternal and child health outcomes, cardiovascular disease, any any sort of outcome um we're finding that's not true and so um that's that's something that i was like i wonder if there's something about 
the mobility process, which is unique for Black Americans. As I mentioned before, because of segregation, Black people oftentimes have to move. So it's the social mobility and also the physical mobility of going to different environments to seek out ways, opportunities to advance their education, to get credentials, to seek out new employment opportunities, so on and so forth. So they're moving from their salubrious social networks. They're moving from environments that they know are most familiar with and to environments where oftentimes they're a minority, they're integration pioneers, where they might be the only Black person in a particular space. And, and that's weighty. Um, people experience stress in, in a variety of different ways. So I think um, that's that's where the the mobility and health um, question comes up. And certainly my, my own findings and findings of others indicate that there are some, some major challenges associated with social mobility. Is that major challenges that are associated with it? Like, can you yeah, uh, yeah. expand on that? Like, what does that look like? What are some of those challenges? Yeah, sure. So I'll share from my own work. It's primarily been um, mental health. Um, so I just published a study recently where we just wanted to see what the association between um, what's the well, what's the prevalence of depression within an upwardly mobile Black American sample, and it was quite high, like twice the national average. Um, then we wanted to see what's the association between aspects of racism and discrimination and depressive symptoms. And we found there was a massive association between perceptions of discrimination and racism with poor mental health, um, particularly depressive symptoms. So that again, that, that kind of underscores that People are experiencing a great deal of stress in the form of differential treatment because of their race. Um, and those experiences are driving poor mental health. So we've got other health outcomes that we're looking at too. We haven't run all the analyses yet, but again, those, those findings support work of other scholars who found similar associations for to cardiovascular related outcomes like hypertension. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one of the reasons that, that I, I would speculate that I would theorize that we don't see the health returns for these massive investments that people are making. Yeah, no, that, that's real. And I can only imagine just, just talking about the, the mental health aspect of, of this and that stuff gets that stuff gets passed down and you don't even really see it or you it's there but a, a lot for we know the black community um it's not talked about as much so um with the work you're doing it's, it sounds very fascinating that you that you're seeing these things and what i what i can only assume just from my experience with the people that i work with um a lot of the time it's not their diet or their exercise. Yeah, there may be changes that need that, but the stress aspect of mm -hmm. their career, they're the first in their family to do something, they're the first mm -hmm. in a space to do something, and all of that pressure is on them. And some of the, some of the times I'm seeing that stress leads to, was it, it leads to overeating or eating something that they know not healthy mm -hmm. for them, which leads to yeah. hypertension, diabetes, and it leads to all these 
other situations that are not that are affecting their health and they don't know how to come out of that. Mm-hmm. No, that's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's also um what's in your environment too. Um so as I mentioned before, a lot of black Americans can't afford to live in like the most optimal neighborhoods. So the neighborhoods that might be considered the most prestigious because they cost the most and they don't have access to wealth. So oftentimes people don't even despite all their massive investments um in themselves, their educations, they they have these credentials. They're expecting a certain amount of return on that investment. And they're encountering discrimination in the workplace and educational settings. Um, they're also experiencing stress in their their maybe their lived environment as well. They might not have as great access to fresh fruits and vegetables and all these other things that mm-hmm. protect health. So it's really like this comprehensive set of stressors um, that that people are experiencing. Again, oftentimes suffering in silence because people don't pay much attention to a upperly mobile black people. Uh, they think once you've got a certain amount of SES, so income education, they're like, we don't have to worry about you anymore. And and the the research findings say that's not true. And and two, like you mentioned, um, mental health is not considered, and especially the relationship between mental health and physical health. So we're human beings, as I mentioned before. So I think oftentimes people within public health and medicine try to look at mental health and physical health as completely discrete factors that don't have any interaction. They absolutely interact. Um, So that day-to-day grinding to to advance yourself and to, to make sure you have a seat at the proverbial table while simultaneously trying to deal with um, folks who try to make you feel like you shouldn't be there, all those things kind of accumulate over the life course. And and certainly by the time people get to be, you know, even in their 40s and 50s, you start to see premature mortality. You start to see people suffering from morbidities. And like I said before, I think we're just getting to the tip of the iceberg in terms of understanding the impact of these experiences on mental health. Yeah, you know, it's and this is this may be kind of a difficult question to answer, but on one hand, what do we do about, you know, some of some of us out here that took out the student loans to uh get an education? Because we because we also know that, you know, those children that come from two parent family homes or they they grew up if their parents had a college degree, there are positive outcomes because of that and on the same on the same hand we know the stressors of uh of those people that who are doing that and having to deal with that sometimes like you said sometimes in silence but what is that happy balance you know wh- what do you do when you want to you want to provide a better life for the generation below you or be a, mm-hmm. a mentor for those below you um and we've been told that these are the steps to do that. But those same steps are maybe not great for our health sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's something that we pick up in our, our research is that is that old adage to much is given, much is required. 
And so people feel that they embody that they are barely stable themselves in terms of finance and position, very tenuous. And they're quickly looking backwards to help others, which is great. That's that's what we need. That's how you build community. Uh, But it is different. Um, I think it does wear on people. Um, I remember having a conversation where I had just graduated from college. I worked at the National Institutes of Health and my roommate and my friend, uh, Brad, was this lovely white guy from New Jersey. And we had finished college at the same time. Um, he went to Colgate. I went to Morehouse. And some kind of way we got in this discussion after work one day um, about expectations from our families. And I was sharing with him, you know, I've got to do all these things for my family. So I feel obligations. I feel expectation to do certain things for my family. It's like, wow, that feels really heavy. Like, I don't have any of those expectations in my family. Like, <laughs> people, That's people help me out. man expectations. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So he was like, man, you're carrying. That's what you're thinking about on a day-to-day basis? Like, I couldn't imagine. That's got to be so taxing. I was like, it is. It, it can be very taxing and it can be suffocating. Um, and so I think just the recognition of of that experience alone um, and, you know, just that anecdotal example, that parallel um, where, again, people people are living. And I, my argument is that socioeconomic status is different across race because as I mentioned before, black and brown people don't have, which is a game changer. You don't have a safety net. So people feel stressed all the time. Like you mentioned, taking out student loans, for example. Um, and then you get to a certain income bracket and you learn a tax code doesn't work for you either. Um, there's a scholar, a law scholar at Emory who wrote a book called The Whiteness of Wealth. And a lot of it was about how the tax code is normed on white men with stay-at-home wives. And so the tax code really doesn't work for anybody else. Um, and that's why you see all these, you know, initiatives around families and a nuclear family and black people have never really had that, that sort of setup. So, you know, you don't have wealth, you get to a certain level, you have student loan debt, you have a tax code that doesn't reward you at all. Um, and so the the question becomes like, from a societal perspective, what do we do about it? And from an individual level, how do people cope with that? Um, so people in our research talk about the things that they cope with. They they cope with um, spirituality. They they maintain their faith. They um, whether they're part of a, a formal um, community of believers or they're whether they're in a, a more a broader spirituality space. They they meditate. They um, you know, they try to get with community. They try to, mm-hmm. you know, have a, a, a space where they can just kind of let their hair down and, and commune and connect with people. Um, some of them leave their, their positions. I think that's one thing the pandemic has underscored is it's not worth it for a lot of people. The jobs will not reward you in a way that perhaps you may have thought it would. So people get into these dream positions and they're grinding and they are experiencing the rewards they see in their bank account, what they can do with the money. But they're like, this place is killing me. 
Like I gotta get out of here, and people do. So it's ironic because they work so hard to get to a particular status. Right. They get to this pinnacle, and they're like, "Yeah, I can't do this. This is gonna this is gonna take me out." And so the irony is that people again are leaving more lucrative financially um, positions to pursue their passions or just preserve their their mental and physical health, but that also comes at a cost too. So. Um. Yeah, that's a that's a complicated answer, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I the best I can with that type of question. No, I mean it's like I said, it's it's a heavy, it's a difficult question to to answer, you know. And um, but I think you did a great job. You know, I want I want to take it back to you know to the the healthcare space. That's kind of where um I'm in those those healthcare streets. So, you know, how can healthcare providers and organizations better address the health disparities? Uh, that result from the differences in social mobility among African-Americans and other groups. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So two ways, two things popped to my head. Um, So for healthcare providers, I think is important. People have talked about the importance of social determinants of health for a long time. And we know that social determinants of health, so your ability to make ends meet, to feed your family, food insecurity, housing insecurity, all those things come first, you know, think about, you know, sort of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like if you don't have your basic needs met, then the health advice, medication adherence, et cetera, all that stuff goes in one ear and out the other. So I think it's critical for providers to also develop rapport about how to ask about these things in an appropriate way. So many people wouldn't take kindly to a provider who's usually, you know, middle upper middle class or higher come into the room and they're waking up and saying, you know, do you have housing or food insecurity? That that doesn't feel like um that doesn't feel good. That feels kind of judgmental. So we got to figure out a way to get that information from people. I think that people who are who have the look of being middle class are just as susceptible because again, wealth is not there. So I've interviewed people who have temporary bouts of unemployment and they and they sit there with it because for them it's embarrassing. They have a lot of pride. They don't want to go out and look for, for public assistance. They don't want to let people in their family know because their family is looking at them like you're the one who has it all together. Right. Um so I think it's important for providers to recognize that. Um, you know, I think again, trying to figure out how to get that information. From people, you don't want to stereotype folks. So, like having a, a universal way of collecting information about social determinants of health, which there are a lot of different measures nowadays. I think that's important. I think the other thing for um, that kind of bridges beyond healthcare, but um, even for for healthcare providers, all the the physicians that I know, for example, they took out a ton of debt to go to school. Um, it takes them a long time to get stable. The training is really long. Um, some of them move all over the country. And just that alone is stressful. And these are people's providers. <laughs> right. um, and so I think that institutions, even where I'm at in the academy, we have policies that are not aligned with equity. Um, you expect someone to go and travel and do all these things. And get reimbursed. People oftentimes don't have the money to pay for these things up front, or they have to take out the debt, your credit cards, and then 
their accruing interest and whatnot. So I think simple things like that, addressing, again, from an equity lens perspective, knowing that people have different start points and offering resources and accounting for that is really important across the board, no matter what the sector might be. No, that that's that's real. That's real. Uh, I think I think within the healthcare space, we're starting to understand this a lot more, especially with the employment of community health workers and being in the community and understanding what's going on um, there before they even get into their provider's exam room or whatever the case may be. So I, I feel like we're getting there, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done um, there for sure. So, you know, my, my last question for you, brother, and I appreciate your time. Uh, what advice would you give, you know, someone, a young man, woman, um, person of color who's trying to not only improve their social mobility um, and their health outcomes in today's society? What's, what's some advice that you would give them? Yeah, sure. So I always tell people I'm presenting this work that I would never discourage anyone from um, embarking on the pathway up for social mobility. And um, it's certainly worth it when, even from a personal perspective, growing up in Detroit, one of my biggest goals was that I didn't want to assemble cars for a living because that's what everyone did. They worked for Ford or GM or Chrysler or some auto, you know, some, some adjacent to the auto industry. Um, so the life that I live in terms of being occupational habits and having a lot of independence and autonomy, it's been a, a great personal journey for me. Um, I also know that it's, it's a taxing journey as well. Um, it's arduous in a lot of different ways. And so I'm very cognizant, especially as I get older, um, what I need to do to make health a top priority. And I still have this, this tendency, you know, to, to take on too many things. Um, I still have this drive as if I don't belong here. So I would tell someone who is embarking on that pathway of upper mobility is to always remember that you belong. And I think that's hard to, to fully embrace, especially when people are telling you that you don't belong in a particular space, right. mm-hmm. but to to maintain that confidence and that faith in yourself that you belong in these settings, there's a reason why you're here and that you offer something oftentimes that's either more insightful or valuable than your your peers and your, your whether you see them as peers or competitors. Um, I think the other thing is to set to develop a set of self-care practices that you can be enacting regularly. Not like what I try to do is not save for like this giant vacation that I want to take at the end of the year or something like that. It's these, these everyday things that I have to do to maintain health, whether that's getting into the gym, whether that's meditating, whether that's prayer, whatever it may be. So I think for young folks, is really critical, especially in a in a society that's always telling you that you got to do more. Right. Um, you got to figure out a way to counterbalance that and figure out what what fills you back up, what restores you. Again, it could be wide, like physical activity, being around people, um, you know, connecting with friends and and sharing with them what's happening in your life. I think that's probably the for me, that's one of the most 
key pieces is having a, a really important, uh, you know, just prioritizing my, my social network and, and letting those people love on me and them and feeling better about it. No, that's real. That's real. Daryl, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, man. I really appreciate you and your time. Uh, for those that want to learn more about you, um, what you're doing, uh, sounds like, I think you told me you have a podcast yourself. Definitely plug that if you want to, um, you know, where can they, where can they reach out and connect with you? Yeah, sure. So I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm still one of those folks still on Twitter. <laughs> I'm at Dr. D HUD, uh, at D-R-D-H-U-D. Um, I co-host a podcast for the Interdisciplinary Association of Population Health Sciences. Our podcast is Sick Individuals, Sick Populations. Um, so we release episodes about once a month right now. Um, and, you know, if people can find me. I'm easy to find. Daryl Hudson, two R's, two L's. <laughs> so uh, just a simple search out there. We'll find you, you know, at my either my faculty webpage or my email I'm always happy to, to share information and chat with folks. Yes. And I, and I'll add, I'll add all those to the descriptions of this episode. So people make it easier for people to, to rock with you. Um, again, Daryl, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and everybody, thank you for listening to the healthy project podcast. I'll highlight you next time.